Father, you are so awesome. You are almighty because I know how much I need you. And I know that everyone needs you. How could you possibly fill and take care of all of us? I thank you, Lord, for sending your Holy Spirit. To bring peace, strength, support, comfort, love, assurance, truth, light. Things, Lord, that we need from above on a daily basis. Lord, as we look at ourselves as needy people, we need your Holy Spirit. We need your sanctification. Your ne we need to grow in the stature of Christ. So Lord, forgive us for things we've said, things we've done, things we thought, and things, Lord, that you desired us to do and we failed to do them. Lord, not because we wanted to, but we desire to grow into Christ and to do everything that we see you do and say everything that you say. Help us tame our tongues many times. Keep our wandering thoughts away, Lord. And let your dwelling place of holiness within us grow. We continue to pray for your church. We continue to pray, Lord, for your work. Lord, we want to see Jesus at work here around us, so prepare us, empower us, anoint us, and gift us for the work that you have ahead of us. Lord, as we worship you with our giving, please receive a portion of that which you have given to us as a token for the support and expansion of your ministry as you see fit. Lord, we continue to pray for those who are sick. We have so many people, Lord, who are sick in our midst. Dozens of people sick and ill and struggling. And we ask, Lord, for your hand of healing and comfort. And Lord, during this time, may they grow in intimacy with you. Lord, we continue to pray, Lord, for those who are traveling, those who uh, struggle with other things. Lord, may they come before you and experience you in a powerful way. Today, as we approach your word, we need grace. We need grace to hear and to accept your voice in a way, Lord, that it's not very popular. But Lord, we're not looking for popularity, for you are the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And you don't need to win a popularity contest because you have 
conquered and stolen our hearts by giving your son Jesus Christ in whose name we pray today. Amen. Thank you for being here with us today. Um, we now turn to do our scripture reading, which comes from 1 Samuel chapter 8. If you can please stand with me, we will be reading uh, through the first few verses. <clears throat> when Samuel became old, he made his sons judges over Israel. The name of his firstborn was Joel, and the name of his second, Abijah. They were judges in Beersheba. Yet his sons did not walk in his ways, but turned aside after gain. They took bribes and perverted justice. Then all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah and said to him, Behold, you are old, and your sons do not walk in your ways. Now appoint for us a king to judge us like all the nations. But the thing displeased Samuel when they said, Give us a king to judge us. And Samuel prayed to the Lord, and the Lord said to Samuel, Obey the voice of the people in all that they have said to you, for they have not rejected you, but they have rejected me from being king over them, according to all the deeds that they have done from the day I brought them out of Egypt, even to this day, forsaking me and serving other gods, so they are also doing to you. Now then, obey their voice, only you shall solemnly warn them, and show them the ways of the king who shall reign over them. Amen. You may be seated. <clears throat> we have come during a, a, a beautiful period of struggle and tough time. This is the time of the judges. And what's the theme of the judges? Everyone did what was right in their own eyes and that's not a good thing but we would cherish that especially in the western world from western europe to united states because we're an individualistic society so that is simply the model of our society now unfortunately that shouldn't invade us in the church but it's much easier for that to invade into our churches when that's so acceptable and so cherished and worshiped in our society now, as we approach this passage during the, king, uh, during the judges, we see a lot of turmoil. Samuel, being both a priest and a prophet and a judge appointed by the Lord over Israel, <clears throat> experiences what is the first breakthrough. In the cycles of the judges, we saw people, you know, Move into idolatry, they started with marrying people, then moving into idolatry, then the Lord brought about what he promised. Hey, you made a covenant with me, we didn't hold it, so I'm going to, you know, subjugate you, bring people, make you slaves. Then they cried out to the Lord, then the Lord raised up a, a, a judge to fight for them and deliver them, and the cycle continued. As we saw Wednesday night, the first revival happens to break this through. And they raised a stone there. They repented. They went through all the, all the motion, all, all the realities. There's about four or five realities that when a true revival happens, take place. So I know some people were really excited about what was happening in, what was it, Kentucky? Asbury, Kentucky. 
Well, I'm sorry. The reason why church history won't take the many revivals that they had is because they do not follow the biblical uh, uh, you know, standards for a revival. So the last revival in the United States is still with the Jesus Freak Movement or the hippies who came to the Lord on the beach in California. So that's the last known revival in the world that the church testifies to it. So it's put into church history. So that is, but this, we're not going to look at that, but there's a revival that happens. There's repentance there's, uh, you know, tearing down of the, the, the idols and moving forward in progression of, of, of uh, you know, reconciliation with God and worship. What would you expect would be the result of a revival? Excuse me? Well, you know, the, the, wor- the Holy Spirit was at work. But let's, let's put it into more wilder terms. Let's say you've been friends with someone and you broke their trust, they broke yours, and then you ended up making up with one another. What is the next play or what is the next step with your friend once you do that? You begin to commune, in, you know, I'm going to take it to the next level and say, there should be a growth in intimacy in that relationship. And this is where we are. We're following uh, this area of a revival in Israel. And, you know, I know some of you thought about much about Samson. But, you know, I got to say, because of this, Samuel is the greatest of the judges. Because it is through his ministry and through his time that actually the revival that breaks a certain condition happens in the life of Israel. Now, if there's a revival that was broken and we know the sins of the past and everyone did what was right in their own mind, what happens when you repent from that condition what do you replace with hey i'm gonna do whatever i think is right what do you replace that now in a relationship with god by submission but submission can only take place if i have faith to trust the lord right so it is replaced by a life of faith by living by faith So let's see how this plays along. When Samuel became old, he made his sons judges over Israel. Is this right or wrong? Wrong. Why? Nepotism? So, okay, okay. Why wouldn't... Did God, did God reprimand Samuel for making his sons judges? No. Did God reprimand Eli for making his sons priests and judges? Okay. So why is God not reprimanding if this is wrong? Because God is still in charge.
So he trained his own sons, made them judges. But people don't speak about Samuel's life. Samuel's life was like a missionary. There was no center to Israel at that time, so he constantly moved. Judged people, you know, performed his priestly duties. He was a prophet, so he was basically on a move constantly, which means you're not home all that much. So therefore, when the sons grew bigger, he took them with them and he trained them and he made them be, uh, you know, obviously they learned the trait with his own dad, but the reality is, is that he wasn't around all that much. The name of his firstborn son was Joel, and the name of his second, Abijah. They were judges in Beersheba. Interestingly enough, very far away, let's go to the map. Is there a map uh, picture there? Oh, okay. So if you look at Ramah up here, where was basically their home, they were about as far away possible as you could be. Interestingly enough, Ramah was seen as the spiritual center, right? Because it surrounded the prophet. Do you know what Barsheba was famous for? Kind of like the parliament or the type of leaders they work within society. Interestingly enough, where his sons were drawn to. It's like saying, his sons would be in Juno and, and Samuel would be in Fairbanks. This is what was happening. This is what was happening. Or, or you could say, you know, what's the spiritual center of the United States? We don't really have one, but, you know, we'll say Kansas City. And then his sons would be in Washington, D.C. or something like that, but it doesn't work. But all I'm trying to say is that you know now where they're drawn. If you are judging the people, why would, be, would you be on the outskirts rather than be located more centrally? We don't know that yet, but it does give us hints to something that we will see. Yet his sons <coughs> did not walk in his ways, but turned aside after gain. They took bribes and perverted justice. Now, interestingly enough, he's a priest and a judge, and he has two sons. It's by no mistake that Eli is a priest, and he has two sons. It's by no mistake that they both are overtaken by lust. Lust for women and gain, lust for gain and power. From the same family, but it's still the family of lust that has overtaken both things. The entire Israel knows there's a precedent because God is in 
charge. There was nothing Eli had to do. There was nothing the people. People did not like it and complained. But guess who took care of the issue? God. God took care of them. They already even had a precedent to this reality. This is a, this is a country who has repented, gone through a revival. They just need to recount who the Lord is and what he's done. Then all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel a Ramah and said to him, Behold, you are old. And the reason why I will stop there is because most of the time when I hear people talk, actually even pastors talk, they say, oh, you know, they, they just complain about his sons and they try to use that. No, no, no. The very first complaint is about the fact that he is old. So first and first is a complaint about his age. And it's about him. Now there's a secondary complaint that comes into the equation. And interestingly enough, this complaint is overlooked by many scholars. And your sons do not walk in your ways. Now here is the problem. They are not accusing Samuel of his ways. They're accusing Samuel of being old. What does this mean? They're trying to push a decision. They are, but is God still in charge? So if God is in charge, what matters if one's old and he's going to go and God will raise someone else? Does God matter if someone's old or young when he's in charge? So what happens is that the intimacy they were supposed to have from the revival, I'm getting closer to God and he is leading, has shifted now to be on man. How did Israel falter? They didn't start idolatry first. They first married, and that was the middle ground as they went into idolatry. What this happens is they have revival. Their eyes are on the Lord for a while. They haven't sinned yet, but they turn their eyes now on to man again. It is no longer the Lord who is the apple of their eye. I don't even have to read further to let you know that this is a motion of man. And it's not going to be good. The Bible has a 100% record when men get together and decide things to be 100% opposite to God's leading. Well, then you say, Pastor, then how come for so many years the Baptist had a congregational well, that's a good question. So that's a very good question. I cannot answer that for you. I just I'll, I will tell you where it originated, but I cannot answer that for you. 
Now appoint for us a king to judge us like all the nations. You are old. Your sons don't walk in our ways. Basically, God is not in charge. You are old. Your sons don't walk. He knows. He's no fool. He knows his sons don't walk in his ways. Here's even a more uh, aggressive style. Now appoint for us. What does this mean? The elders, instead of being subservient to Samuel, give a command to Samuel what to do when either what he does has to come from his own volition or what God says. Now appoint for us a king to judge us like all the nations. And we see here that there will be a struggle. There will be a struggle in your life. There will be a struggle in the church. There will be a struggle everywhere because to please man stands opposite to pleasing God. Unfortunately, the biggest churches are, are the ones that are very good at being people. You will have to come to a decision. I remember being a youth pastor once, and, uh, and, and the senior pastor came to me, and, you know, we were in the hallway, and he grabbed me by the chest, and he said, you know what, let's just do this and do this. And I said, and I said to him, I'm sorry, but I'm not going to be a people pleaser. And while he was very passionate for, to do this and to go to the next, he realized he was wrong. And then he kind of stood back and hit his back against the other wall. He put his head down and he walked away. Appoint for us a king to judge us like all the nations. What else is a problem with this? Is this any different than marrying someone who you're not supposed to marry? Aren't they marrying the ideology of the world? Hey, we like the way other kings look at them and treat them. and We like the standards of that reality. So what are they also setting? A new standard. Who are those? The elders. The first time we see major problems which are very prominent today as churches are moving to elder-led churches that... As they represent the people, they overstep the fact that they're only supposed to be oversight and they think they're leaders and many times they're leading astray. It happens all the time. And you know, having a couple of kids who went with the Lord, I had to do church consulting work. So I've been to dozens and dozens of churches, some run by the congregation, some run by the elders, some run by one guy. And surely enough... You know, without a doubt, the hardest were the congregational churches to help. 
But nonetheless, this is a very important piece of design. And that's why you will see that how many came? All of them. Every person in Israel was represented by oversight of the elders. There was representation, complete and total. Do you think this is by accident, or would you now say that maybe it was premeditated? I mean, it's strange when he says all the elders. If he said the majority, but he says all the elders coming into one place. Now, they use the excuse of being old. They use the excuse of the sons. Let's look at a different reality how the prophet sees it out of chapter 12. Samuel 12, 12. And when you saw that Nahash, the king of the Ammonites, came against you, you said to me, No, but a king shall reign over us when the Lord your God was your king. There's also side pressure and an issue where they said, oh, because the sons are sinful and Samuel's old, this king might beat us, might make us slaves again and, you know, kill us and subjugate us, whatever was in their mind. But Samuel is no fool. He knows about the external problem. Once again, is intimacy with the Lord and a life of faith what we expected out of a revival happening right now? No. No. But when does the Lord say that he will have a king? He says he is the king. We saw there. He said in 12, we saw again that he was the king. What's the problem with having a king when in Genesis 49.10, the Holy Spirit speaks about the scepter of the tribe of Judah? So the Lord will provide a king in his timing. That's been prophesied. But not in this way. But the thing, now interesting now how he uses here, but the thing displeased Samuel when they said, give us a king to judge us. Please note, he did not take what? He was not personally irritated when he was attacked and he didn't even answer. When you are personally attacked, you don't need to respond. Especially when you are in a place where God places you. He does not get irritated. He does not answer back. And he agrees that his sons are not walking in the way he did. But you can look at the confession. For Samuel chapter 12, he gives a confession about himself, Samuel. But here's the problem. Give us a king to judge us. What displeases Samuel? 
the condition of the heart of the people. Samuel loves the fact that God is king. And that is what he upholds the most in his life. That is the intimacy that he has. And now the people who were in revival come and attack the very core of what holds Samuel together. So he says, basically, there is no fear of God and there is no love of God. Fear that supposedly should have started with revival. Love that comes out of a relationship and and intimacy with God. Both of them are present. So he is displeased. At the one spectrum, our relationship will start with fear of God in a healthy way. And it will grow through truth and relating into the love of God. So obviously Samuel is not very joyful and he says that he prayed to the Lord. What is the reaction? Please note, you are not accountable to answer to other men. You can take it in prayer to the Lord. And the Lord said to Samuel, Obey the voice of the people in all they say to you. For they have not rejected you. But they have rejected me from being king over them. Samuel dwells in intimacy with the Lord. But the rest of the people don't. They cannot know that. They're even, I guarantee you if you would have asked them. They would have been blind to the fact that that's what they're doing. Samuel tells them about this later on when he confesses and takes a stance in Samuel 12. Chapter 12. When he addresses. But look how the Lord discloses his heart to Samuel. That's why we have a persona. That's why we're made in the image of God. God has feelings. The intimacy is there, but it's only with Samuel. Now, what do you do in a nation where only one person is intimate with the Lord and the rest are in the right standing, but they're not intimate with the Lord. They have yet to sin. They have had facts. If you look with your eyes, Samuel was old. But not if you look by faith, because God is in charge. When they made logical judgments, his sons were sinful. So why would God bless them if they go to lead us to fight the enemies? Nonetheless, the Lord says, but they have rejected me from being king over them. The intimacy of Samuel to be displeased, not about an attack on him and his sons. 
but an attack on who God is as king. Notice human planning and meetings, bringing people together and making decisions. According, um, according to all the deeds that they have done from the day I brought them up out of the Egypt, even to this day, forsaking me and serving other gods, so they are also doing to you. It's unfortunate when you live in the days, I've lived in the days where it was tough to be a pastor because you were imprisoned, harassed, killed, beaten under the persecuted church in, uh, in Romania. And I've had four generations of my family in prison and torture for their faith. And I used to live through those and see them, and it was tough. But unfortunately, I struggled with this for many years. There will be a time when pastors will be persecuted by the people inside the church, not by the world. And it is happening right now in many churches. It's unfortunate. But the Lord knows, so they are also doing to you. If the Lord blesses you to have a prophetic ministry or to interact with him in intimacy, you will be blessed with knowing deeper suffering and struggle because he wants to share that with you. Don't think that God doesn't love you because you're going through those things. The condition that he has with his flock, sometimes he shares with certain people in his flock. Don't expect people to understand you. Don't expect family members to understand you. Don't expect anything. That is simply your cross that you personally have to bear. And it comes with your own personal intimacy and calling that God has upon your life. But more so, he calls them to humility and says, Now then, obey their voice, only you shall solemnly warn them. Why is God doing this? The question, why is God responding to their request? they have a covenant because God decided that I'm going to be like this with Israel the problem was God being on the throne and Israel holding hands with God said oh we don't like the fact you're on the throne why don't you step down here and then use some of that to put someone to the side Make us a king like the rest of the world has. Can we bring pain to our father? Shall solemnly warn them, can we bring calamity by our own decisions to ourselves? And sometimes we do it when we think we're right. 
in our own lack of faith and lack of vision. All I want to say to you is, I'm not trying to push Calvinism on you, but I want to say to you, God has always had a plan. Has always had a plan. He won't be found questioning or wondering why this is happening. And nothing can thwart his plan. But nonetheless, he solely warned them and showed them the ways of the king who shall reign over them. You're saying, wow, the king shall reign over them? Is God relinquishing some of his authority now to the king? Not easy to understand, so I won't jump into it. So Samuel told all the words of the Lord to the people who were asking for a king from him. This is not to the all, all of Israel. This is to the elders. He said, this will be the ways of the king who will reign over you. He will take your sons and appoint them to his chariots and to be his horsemen and to run before his chariots. And he will appoint for himself commanders of thousands and commanders of fifties and some to plow his ground and some to reap his harvest and to make his implements of war and the equipment of his chariots. He will take your daughters to be perfumers and cooks and bakers. He will take the best of your fields and vineyards and olive orchards and give them to his servants. He will take the tenth of your grain. Well, let's stop there. What's happening? There is now a human platform that comes in between the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords and Israel. There's a human platform that we can begin to exercise. Under what authority do you do those things? They asked Jesus when he overran the tables in the there was a system of a business that the humans were using to create the wealth and the mega church, the river. There was a river of blood flowing from the temple. There was a lot of money that was being made. Under what authority are you doing this? We have decided this. We have a platform. Jesus came to tear it down. Hmm. He will take the tenth of your grain and your vineyards and give it to his officers and to his servants. He will take your male servants and female servants and the best of your young men and your donkeys and put them to his work. He will take the tenth of your flocks and you shall be his slaves. And in that day you will cry out because of your king whom you have chosen for, you, for yourselves. Who has chosen the king? For yourselves. 
This first king represents what? The human choice, the human appointed king. But the Lord will not answer you in that day. What has happened? Instead of intimacy, distance by this platform has entered between God and his people. We have to be careful what we do in the church not to break God's design and offend him so we will one day experience the anointed presence of God in a more real way and in a miraculous way in our midst. But the people refused to obey the voice of Samuel. And they said no. They accepted. They accepted what was coming their way. No, but there shall be a king over us that we may also be like all the nations. And that our king may judge us and go before us and fight our battles. And when Samuel heard all the words of the people, he repeated them in the ears of the Lord. Do you, do you, think, do you think the Lord did not hear? Why, why, he says, he repeated them in the ear of the Lord? Is there intimacy there? It's almost like he's weeping with the Lord. He's grieving. He's grieving and he's crying. He's crying with the Lord and he's grieving of what's happening in his ear. It's like the Lord Jesus when he saw Jerusalem. Oh, how I wish to gather you the way a hand gathers her cheeks. It is the same God that's pained, pained at that time, pained with the prophets that he'll send, pained with Samuel that's having this pain. He repeated them in the ears of the Lord. Oh, that's a sweet phrase. Do you have these times with the Lord? Where you just sit in prayer and... and or are you at the place where you say, Well, I don't even see the Lord at work. I'm not that intimate with Him. I don't see... No, I, I don't feel what He feels. I... Begin to pray, Lord, can you let me think? What, can you show me what you think? Can you show me how you feel about certain things? It can only happen when there's an escape from self. It can only happen in the intimacy of denying self and picking up your cross. But it will be a beautiful journey. I saw it firsthand. In the life of my grandfather. I mean, bless me. I hope that you have someone in your life like that. And the Lord said to Samuel, Obey their voice and make them a king. Samuel then said to the men of Israel, 
go, every man to his city. I cannot tell you that. All I can tell you is go and enjoy the prayer closet, the intimacy that only the Holy Spirit or the Lord can have for you. Let's bow our heads and pray. Father, we thank you, Lord, for this beautiful story. We've seen leaders make mistakes. We've seen elders make mistakes. We've seen the people be completely wrong. But one thing is for certain. The direction needs to be upon you. Lord, when we begin to turn towards one another and look that way, Not much good can happen. Actually, it's easier for us to falter. So today, Lord, I pray that everyone who came here will know that whether we're small or big, when we gather here is to be surrounding you, Father. To grow into the love that Jesus has for us. to learn how to hear how to pray and how to be intimate with the things of you so Lord let your truth break off the chains and start us on this journey and relationship that begins with the fear of the Lord and ends with us being spent with your love until we come into your presence and you say, well done, good and faithful servant. In Jesus' name we ask. Amen.